Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to El Teller John's La Liga Weekly. This week, exposing frauds and bottlers just because it's easier than thinking. Let's take Ernesto <laughs> Valverde first. Okay, Barca at nine points clear, but he hasn't won the Champions League and they are occasionally a bit dull. They were much better in Pep Guardiola's day. And there's another fraud. Fancy not even winning the quadruple, you idiot. It's just like media. I don't know, Cristiano Ronaldo. What happened to Juve winning the Champions League? I swear that man has won nothing in his entire life. And he's never even scored a single goal. This is easy. Just rip into everyone regardless of what they've done. I know. Uh, Sevilla. The bottlers. No, actually. Let's do Jose Bordelas. He's obviously got Etafe into a Champions League place so he can skulk off to Sevilla before he has to take on Bayern Munich next season. You bottler. Subject to confirmation. Uh, oh, yeah, no Aspas. You know, if you hadn't had three months off, Celta Vigo wouldn't need saving, you great, loving fraudster. Uh, the only people who aren't frauds this week are the guy who last week we said wasn't good enough, carrying Benzema. Uh, there's always that. And Gonzalo Guedes, but he kicks the ball weirdly. Uh, long-term <laughs> listeners will know to take these hastily contrived introductions with a large dose of salt. For example, when I repeatedly assert that John Gadetti can't score an open goal in two metres, I don't mean it literally. So, UL Rodriguez of Valladolid, don't give him the ball there. And like, if you're closed down by John Gadetti from 40 yards away, that really is the definition of taking too long on the ball. <laughs> <laughs> the bottom two, Ryo and Wesker, drew nil-nil, dragging each other into the pit like an old married couple with nothing to live for except instilling total despair in the other. Uh, Real Betis played in special eco-shirts Sunday evening, showing their support for action against climate change. Now, if someone could just convince them that passing the ball sideways and backwards uses more carbon, then we might actually get a decent performance out of them again. You know, Homer, it's very easy to criticise. Mine too. Terry Gibson has been at the Emirates watching ex-Valencia defender Shkodran Mustafi play for Arsenal. He's definitely not a member of Extinction Rebellion. He wasn't stopping anybody from doing anything. Uh, three to come, Will. Bring you, mates. So there we are, Terry. Uh, so, we're, do you want to do a little bit of Arsenal? Uh, actually, our old mate has been in touch, uh, asking about Yago Aspas. We'll get to that in a bit. But he says, I enjoyed Terry's commentary. He was spot on with his analysis. But with respect, could he not commentate on Arsenal again? I know, I know, my apologies. Or well, not as a Spurs supporter, of course, but uh, no, it was interesting. I, I was laughing halfway through the introduction because just imagine if someone is, is listening in for the first time and they go, God, that John Driscoll's bloody harsh. <laughs> they won't realise <laughs> it's tongue in cheek. But no, it's uh, it, doing the Arsenal Crystal Palace games today, it's not something I do very often. Um, but it does, I probably do about seven or eight Premier League games a season. So it does give me a sort of look into comparing the leagues, if I'm, I'm being honest. And, and what I saw today confirms to me that in the Premier League, they pay very large sums of money, transfer fees and salaries to pretty average players, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, 
I think there's a lot cheaper ways to be not very good than what we see from some of the teams in the Premier League. Um, but it, it, it is uh, interesting looking at Arsenal with their tie coming up against Valencia. Um, of course, in, in, in this country, I think a lot of people assume that Arsenal-Chelsea is going to be the final and that, that Arsenal-Chelsea are the two best teams left in it. I don't know anything about Eintracht Frankfurt, but uh, I do know that Valencia are, are very capable of certainly giving Arsenal a game in the semi-final and certainly giving Chelsea a game in the final, if that is to be the case. So I, I, I wouldn't take Valencia too lightly if I was Arsenal um, and whoever whoever it is that, that plays in the final. So it's, they're going to be two really good, game, good games. Uh, we might as well start with Valencia then, mightn't we? Um, uh, Peter wants to know, can they become the fourth title challengers? He says if they get into the Champions League, that could be the platform to challenge the top Three. Now they were they were nearly there, weren't they? You know they they for a long time. Uh, Marcelino's first season, we sort of convinced us. We tried to convince ourselves that they were genuine title contenders, um, and the money sort of dried up a bit, didn't he? He lost his patience, Peter Lim. My my answer to Peter's question would be: it would take a lot more money uh, before they genuinely challenged Barcelona and a fully functioning Real Madrid. Is that is that fair? I think it is. And I think what we saw from Valencia was an outstanding first half of the season last year, in last season. And they're tailed off a bit towards the end in the second half of the season. And we've seen the opposite this season. So I imagine if somewhere along the line, Marcelino can get the consistency to build a season such as Barcelona, where they're winning over 20 games, Atletico winning 20 at the moment, Real Madrid winning 20. You look at Valencia, they've won 12. They've only lost five. So... They've been hard to beat for the majority of this season. For the first half of the season, they've drawn too many games. So if they can put that type of consistency together in one whole package, look at the first half of last season, the second half of this season, I think there are familiar themes with the first half and the second half of this season and the fact that we mentioned on the podcast last week, I was raving about Gonzalo Guedes and and he's done it again this evening. Carlos Soler is playing well. They look very much like the Valencia we saw in the first half of last season. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I don't think there's an awful lot of work to do. I think it's the consistency. They've shown they've got the quality. They've shown they've got the ability to win games. At the moment, they're in, they're in a fantastic run of form. Um, confidence is high. Um, hence why I think they will be. They will surprise Arsenal. I don't think they'll surprise Unai Emery and the Arsenal players. But I think the, the general public, the media in the UK... I think Valencia might just surprise Arsenal in, in, over the two legs in the semi-final. Uh, technical question from Nick. Do you prefer Geddes wide of a midfield four or up top in a two? Wide of the midfield four. Um, I think we've. I don't want to see a player like him playing with his back to goal um, for the majority of the game, which which does happen if you're playing as a centre forward or the, the second striker playing deeper. Um, I prefer to see Guedes facing the goalies, attacking and and running at opponents as opposed to, to making runs in behind, um, hoping he's on the end of good service or facing up, holding on to possession, allowing players to join in support. I think it's a, it's a different trade. And I think he is it's, it's similar to when I see um, Hazard play for Chelsea as a striker when he's got his back to goal. I don't want to see that. I want to see players like Eden Hazard, Gonzalo Guedes, with the ball at their feet, running at opponents, making things happen, as opposed to relying on other players to, to service them. Now, Real Betis wearing pretty cool shirts made from recycled plastic bottles that people have thrown away, but they 
it's uh, it's looking a bit old and recycled. The the football that they're producing at the moment. Uh, split of opinion. Uh, Lee says to Betis need a change of manager in the summer. Taj says it would be silly to sack Kike Setien. The squad is too thin. They lack a right back. Teo is the only great winger. They've got no centre forward. It's hard to compete with the likes of Sevilla and Valencia. So, where are, are you running out of patience with Kike Setien, Terry? No, I'm not. Um, I think it would be. Uh... Foolish for Betis to make the change. I think they have a plan. I think I, I do trust Kike Setien to eventually get it right. Now, it, it's we don't want to be too impatient with managers, and that Betis are going in the right direction. I find it disappointing when I look at their position in the league at the moment. There should be eight better teams than Real Betis, nine in ninth position. They still have a chance of the, the Europa League. It's a straight race now for seventh between. Athletic Bilbao, Alaves and Betis. Three points in it at the moment between those three. So I think it's really important. But you, you, we can argue the same thing about Athletic Bilbao. It's important for them to be back in Europe. Alaves to, to be back in Europe again would be a, a fine story for La Liga. But I think that there's... There, and when you have a process of a new manager and a, a whole new club being built, if I'm being honest, the owners are pushing it in the right direction. The stadium's been, re, been revamped. The season ticket sales are going really well. They're investing money in new players. And when you have that sort of programme in place, it would be foolish, I believe, to rip it up um, and go with a new manager who wants different types of players, a different style of play, and start again. So I, I think for, for this season, of course, they're not going to make the change now. But I do believe in the summer it will be maybe the third, fourth transfer window they've, they've had with Kike Setien. He would have made up his mind about what positions he specifically needs to strengthen. Um, and and I, I think it would be unwise to start again completely new with a, a new manager, with a new style of play that wants to play a different formation. Um, I, I believe they should still stick with Kike Setien, but with the caveat that they has to do better than what Betis are doing this season. You see the money they've invested in players. Um, it's not Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid standards, even severe, for instance, but it, it's significantly more than they've had to spend over the last decade, I would imagine. So he needs to do better, but I personally would stick with Kike Setien. Uh, if Alaves qualified for the Europa League, Terry, it would save them uh, playing every Friday night, wouldn't it? That would be that would be handy. <laughs> uh, other other than that, they they don't want to qualify. They're not equipped for it. Two two draw with with relegation threatened. Uh, via Dolly with a couple of bizarre I mean the Gadetti goal I, I referred to uh, at the beginning <laughs> yeah. that Alaves took the lead try and explain that one for someone who hasn't seen it well it's it's only John Gadetti who would score a goal like that because no one else would be mad enough to chase a yeah. lost cause from the halfway line um, it was a, a no look back pass wasn't it from was it Borja yeah. Fernandez I think the midfield yes. player who looked at the bench and passed it back to his goalkeeper Yoel it, it wasn't the worst back pass in the world. It was totally pointless, three minutes into the game. And Joel thought he had more time than he had. And he, he had to retrieve it from going out for a corner. So that wasn't ideal, but he had so much time to, to get the ball upfield before Gadetti arrived on the scene. Um, and the block meant from, it was three or four yards out, wasn't it? The block from Gadetti. It was great play from Gadetti. We, we rave about the skills of players like Lionel Messi and Griezmann and Cove, to see a player run like a lunatic in the third minute of the game. He hasn't played much this season. That would have been frustrating for him. 
But he that's what endears him to supporters. He's a popular player wherever he goes. He was popular at Celta. He's popular at Alaves, exactly for that reason, chasing down the lost calls from 60, 70 yards away. But he had no hope, no right to get there and block it um, and earn his side the, the first goal of the game. But I agree with you. They're making hard work of standing at a European spot. Um, it was a good comeback from Vidalid from being 2-0 down. Um, but like many of the relegation teams we're going to be talking about this week, a draw isn't probably good enough at the moment for Vidalid. Certainly not good enough for Alaves as well. Um, so while we're on, let's do the other Champions League. There's only one more Champions League tie to talk about, isn't there? Which is uh, Hatafe 3, Sevilla 0. Uh, extraordinary scoreline, brilliant scoreline for Hatafe. Uh, the referee played a part, didn't he, Antonio Mateo Lajos, because he sent off Escudero of Sevilla in the process of giving the, the second penalty to Hetafe. Um, was there anything desperately wrong with the with the referee, with the decision making? There, you know, there, there were just you know, interpretive calls that they made that changed the game, really. Yeah, I think that the, the first one, if you look at, I mean, it's all this has all been done by VAR. So there's people looking at it, deciding what, what the laws of the game are, how they uh, apply the laws of the game. I think the first one was was harsh, if I'm being honest, because there was three or four players challenging for the ball. Franco Vasquez does touch it with his arm. Um, the second one, I think, with Escudero, there's no real need. It was a, a straight challenge at the far post, him and an opponent. There wasn't the four or five players involved in the scene like we saw for the first penalty. And he doesn't really need to have his hand up there. So when it goes over his head, if people haven't seen it, it goes over the head of Escudero. It was a head of back from the Hatafe player at the far post. I'm not sure it was. And it strikes the arm of Escudero, who isn't looking. But his arm is in an unnatural position. I have sympathy for the first one, Franco Vasquez. I think he's going up with three or four players. And it does strike the arm again in similar circumstances. So uh, it, it's the it's such a grey area. The the handball one. It's I know I said a couple of years ago on the podcast anything that hits the arm, the hand in the penalty area or anywhere on the pitch should be deemed a handball offence. We have people arguing that then players are just going to be flicking the ball up towards an opponent's arm. But what we get now is confusion with what is handball, technically handball, what is intentional. And and it's a it's a massive grey area. So I think Sevilla were they were unfortunate, unfortunate to go down to to ten men in the 50th minute with the second penalty. Interesting that the Hatafe changed the penalty takers, um, and then Molina wraps it up with the third goal at the end. And just when you think Hatafe just losing momentum, um, the Valencia and Sevilla are bringing down the nets, and you you it kind of assumed that it was going to be one of Valencia or Sevilla that finishing fourth. That's a sensational victory for Hatafe and, and keeps them right in the thick of the action. Now, uh, you know, five games to go. They're still in fourth position. It would be an incredible story if Hatafe do finish in fourth position. I think we're underestimating how big a story this would be um, across European football for a team like Hatafe, second season back in the top division, and to finish uh, you know, above teams like Valencia, Sevilla, Athletic, Betis, if they do, Villarreal. Um, would be an incredible achievement for Hatafe and Borderlass. So obviously, Borderlass is, is getting rave reviews. He's been heavily linked in the in the press with uh, a move to Sevilla. So first of all, would you go for him because he's achieved what he's achieved with a very definite style, which is not a particularly uh, expansive style. There's nothing fun about it. Nothing sort of traditional Sevilla about it. And then the second part of the question. 
if you were bored last, would you go to Sevilla? Bearing in mind what you've done at Hetafe, how high your stock is now, you go to somewhere like Sevilla where you start the season badly and you get sacked. No, I think he would. there would be too much temptation for him. I think it's, we have to remember as well, this is a manager that took Alaves, got promotion with Alaves and got sacked before the season started because possibly, knowing the manager that we know now, they Alaves perhaps didn't see him as a, a top-flight manager. Um, so they made the change and you know, it worked out well eventually for Alaves. It worked out well for Bordelas as well. Well, then... When and did it all again, took Hatafe up and has kept them in the top division, now challenging for Europe. His 4-4-2 system wouldn't be totally foreign to Sevilla. We've seen managers come and go in recent seasons with different formations, different styles. But I think in general, Sevilla do like a 4-4-2. So it wouldn't be the, the, a drastic change from what we're seeing him do at Hatafe. But what he would be doing it with Sevilla is we're probably, if I'm being honest and not being, I don't want to be disrespectful to a team who are currently above Sevilla, but a better quality of player. Um, they've been shopping Hatafe in the bargain basement. They've been looking at experienced professionals that can do a job. They probably didn't expect as a club to be laying in, in fourth place with five games to go. So they're punching above their weight. They're exceeding their own expectations. But I think if you imagine that, you know, with the money that Sevilla spend on players, the quality that they've already got there, it would be interesting. And, and don't underestimate a manager that, that we, we shouldn't underestimate a manager that has the intelligence to get the best out of a group of players. So if that's how he sees it working at Hatafe and it has been successful, then I think we, we, he's intelligent enough to know that when he goes to Sevilla, he will be working with a, a bigger budget. Um, he would hope better quality in terms of players, and he will have. I believe he would have the intelligence to adapt it to to make it maybe a little bit more sophisticated. But severe supporters like four four two. They like dashing wingers. They like two players up front. And this this is not just what we've seen under Capitals, who favours that system. It will go back to the first time Capitals was manager to one day Ramos when they was manager, and you had Fabiano and. Canuti up front and Navas down one flank, Adriano down the other flank. So it's it's quite a strong tr- tradition with Sevilla that they they do they don't mind playing the four four two. George says Real Madrid should be worried about Hetafe. They might come. They might have an upset on Wednesday. Let's, should we move on to Real Madrid? I, I don't think we've ever done a podcast, Harry, where Real Madrid and Barcelona have entered the fray quite so late. Uh, Jr. says positive win for Real Madrid with correct signings and clearing out. They could be challenging seriously again. He says, bailout, Hazard in. Militao is exciting. Would Inigo Martinez be a good signing? And what does Zizou not like about Marcos Llorente? So a very positive result for them, he's right. Uh, 3-0 and uh, Karim Benzema. Though he didn't exactly refute all the stats that you gave us last week, but he's hit 30 goals in all for, the, for this season. So yeah, a very positive day for him. Oh, yeah. And, and I have to... Uh... Lend with the fact as well that last week I said I wouldn't get rid of Karim Benzema, but he needs yeah, competition. Um, they need two top quality strikers. He's one. He needs to do better against top half teams. He has scored the last eight goals for Real Madrid in La Liga. The two headed goals today were classic Benzema. The third one was a nice chip from long range. So they are relying heavily on at the moment. Athletic are a top half team. 
and it, it's in the right direction. You can't. I, I don't want to be too critical of him, but what, it's there. You can't dispute the fact he needs to be padding up his stats against Atletico Madrid, against Barcelona, against Valencia, Sevilla, those type of teams at the top. You know where he needs to be scoring. Where Real Madrid need him to be scoring on a regular basis. So today's hat trick was continuation of his, his fine form, which is you could I could argue the fact it's come too late for Real Madrid. He should have been doing this earlier in the season, and perhaps Real Madrid would be higher up in our podcast <laughs> um, in terms of challenging for the title. We'd be talking about Real Madrid from the off, but it was a, a, a good result, a, a sticky first half, I would say. But there's certainly second half, you know, Real Madrid were clearly the better team, had the better striker on the pitch in Benzema, the, the key player. Um, Gareth Bale on the bench again will be a talking point. I thought they improved when he came on as well. Um, I agree with the Marcos Llorente thing. I, I I mentioned, I think, on the podcast podcast last week that um, he's a player that I've always believed in. Um, his performances at Alaves over a season was sensational. He hasn't had the playing time. He, he he would have been, I think, looking forward to the challenge of convincing Zidane with the boost of having shown under the previous manager, Solari, that he was capable of playing for Real Madrid. And, and in general, I think that the, the, the big opinion was Marco Sciorenzi was possibly playing better than Casemiro at that stage. He picked up an injury and hasn't been able to get in the team and now not even making the bench. I, th- I think that's a, that's a, it's a, it's a big call from Zidane. I think Real Madrid do need... Competition for Casemiro in that position, and and I believe they've got a player that that would stop them having to go out and spend a huge sum of money to to bring in a, a similar type player. So that that's it's a strange call for me that that Urenti is being ignored by Zidane um, and not deemed at the moment good enough to to even be on the bench for Real Madrid. I think it's a would be a big loss if Real Madrid want to loan him. If I was Marco Sciorenti, I would probably call it time now and, and decide and to to try and make Real Madrid either sell me or keep me, not to loan me out, which would be a, a bit of a cop-out from Zidane and Real Madrid if, if that's the choice they want to make. And obviously they've been heavily linked with Paul Pogba, whose, whose value must be going down with every game he's playing for Manchester United at the moment. It occurred to me earlier the way Manchester United were playing. Um, they could swap a few players and it might just... Might, might, keep everybody happy but uh, there aren't um, no it's, it's not a serious suggestion by the way because Manchester United are not playing particularly well uh, at the moment and, and neither is Pogba we've discussed Pogba before haven't we so let's uh, yeah, it'd be interesting though I, I agree with you I think that it's, you know there are going to be players that Real Madrid don't fancy that do want to move on like all the clubs around Europe but in particular the big clubs who pay big transfer fees pay huge salaries there are going to be players knocking around in the summer that that are Big clubs are going to find it hard to move on. So I think possibly we are coming into a, an era now where, similar to the American sports, you know, clubs might be able to, the, the wise way to move on players that are on big salaries, Gareth Bell, for instance, if he's on the bench and Zidane doesn't fancy him, it's really going to be hard for Real Madrid to, to move him on. So player trades might be the, the order of the day. So that might be something, not suggesting for one moment that, Real Madrid would consider swapping Gareth Bale for Paul Pogba or Manchester United, whether they would be interested in a deal like that. But they're, they're, it, I think we are heading towards that now where, I mean, you know, players earning four or £500,000 a week that are not wanted at clubs. Um, it's really hard to move them. It's really easy for people to say, you know, move the player on, sell him, you know, 
but it, it's hard to actually, in, a, in the business world, to, to convince a club to take a player you don't want on a reduced fee on four, £500,000 a week. There's only a few clubs, um, we're talking not even a handful of clubs that can afford those type of salaries. So it's it's getting, it's not easy. That's going to be the problem for Real Madrid, for Manchester United, for any of the big clubs around Europe that want to do a drastic overhaul in the summer. Moving on players is is probably harder than, than identifying and doing deals to bring players in. So it's going to be interesting what happens with the, the big clubs throughout Europe. And of course, because we're a La Liga podcast, we're all interested in, in what Real Madrid do in the summer. See, that's why I'm always sceptical when I see loads of transfer speculation about the same club, because I just think generally it doesn't work that you get that many transfers done in, in the same window these days. I think you're right. It would make sense if more uh, swap deals happened. And in the in the speculation, there was always swap deals mentioned. It's hardly they hardly ever happen in football, do they? But so it'd be I interesting. Think the, so the big one right. is Alexis Sanchez and Mkhitaryan. I think they swapped, didn't they? And that's worked yes. out well for everybody. You know, both players yes. are thriving at their clubs and <laughs> still earning massive sums of money. Um, yeah, they're happy. And so they're, they're, yeah, that's all worked out well for Manchester United and Arsenal, Mkhitaryan and Alexis Sanchez. But that was one of the few times it's happened. But when it happened, everybody thought, oh, that's a good deal. Manchester United got a player they want. They've moved on a player they didn't want. Arsenal have done likewise. Both the players are earning similar amounts of money. In case of Sanchez, he probably got an increase. And it worked out well. It's just that the form of the two players um, hasn't materialised. And I think we, we have to remember, I mentioned at the start of the podcast about Betis not having to change a manager, rip it all up and start again. And I think we, you know, Real Madrid are on their third manager this season. Zidane was the manager before that. And there'll be players that Lopetegui liked, that Santi Solari liked, that Zidane doesn't like. Imagine if that happens again next season. Say Real Madrid don't start off as well as they should do. And then and Real Madrid and Zidane decide they've had enough of each other again. And another manager comes in and he doesn't like the players that Zidane has bought. So that's the problem you get. So when we refer back to Betis... You don't want to keep doing that too often, otherwise you end up in a, a downward spiral, I think. You end up with a collection of players that no manager has wanted and trying to get the best out of them. Which, if I'm being honest, and I know this is a La Liga podcast, that's probably what's happened to Manchester United now. You know, since Sir Alex Ferguson left, you've gone through manager, 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 and now you're on your fourth change. And there's players that, you know, have been bought by the other managers, and now it's left to the, the fourth manager down in the line who's who's got to decide how he's going to, you know, manoeuvre into a squad um, of players that, you know, have been bought by a different, other, a collection, different collection of managers. So that's that's why it's difficult in the, the transfer market. And I look at my club, Spurs, we haven't got too many players that we need to move out because we haven't been silly and, and bought loads of players. You mentioned in the past about Athletic Bilbao, it's almost an advantage to them that they don't have this necessity every now and then to chuck all the players out, start bringing in new players. Um, so sometimes there is merit in actually s- stepping back and, and not doing anything drastic or picking players that you need um, that are not going to be wasted and, and surplus to requirements. So that's really hard. Right, before all of our Barcelona friends uh, deserters, let's talk about them. <laughs> uh, record min- record low of Barcelona questions today. Uh, literally one, uh, unless I've missed one. Uh, Hamsi says, it looked like we were resting 
through the 90 minutes. Is that worrying when a game isn't yet won? But they, they won the game, didn't they? They, they beat a, a reasonably good team in Real Sociedad uh, by two goals to one. Uh, Lenglet with a really good header, Jordi Alba. So two defenders, nominally a defender, of course, in, in Jordi Alba's case, reasonably strong squad, reasonably strong side. Uh, obviously, there is you know the, the bigger fish to fry because it looks like La Liga is almost done. Uh, they could technically win it this week, I think, couldn't they? And then, obviously, the, the eyes on the Champions League. But th- that will do. That was fine for Barca, wasn't it? It was OK. It's a game that people are not... It's not going to be live long in their memory. Mm. And I think if we look at the performances of the other teams involved, particularly in the Champions League midweek, uh, their performances and results on the back of, on the weekend following, it, it does... It, it's not just the the physicality of the, the game that Barcelona had against Manchester United. It's the mental preparation that goes into it. It's the anxiety, it's the pressure building on Barcelona as they are going to win La Liga, uh, but they still know that that isn't going to be enough to satisfy their supporters, to satisfy the media. It's not going to be enough to make Ernesto Valverde popular finally with the Barcelona supporters. For Barcelona, it all hinges on the Champions League. So, I think the mental stress from playing against Manchester United, in a good position prior to kickoff, it it certainly took its toll. It, it wasn't an easy game for Barcelona. It was a comfortable win in the end. Um, and I, I think we saw at the weekend a team... I don't think they took it easy at the weekend. I think Real Sociedad played really well. I think Barcelona were below par. But what they did was somehow managed a way to find... to, to a, a way to, to win another game of th- football. And now it won't live long in the memory. We can remember, you know, vividly the two defeats this season: the dramatic, spectacular four-three defeat at home to Betis, the one-nil away defeat against Leganes. That's it. We remember those two; they stick out a mile. We're not going to remember this game at the weekend when Barcelona are lifting the, the La Liga trophy. So it was job done. Unlikely heroes in Longley and Jordi Alba, but I thought Barcelona they looked jaded. But if I'm being honest, looking at the Man City Spurs game, that was. They were jaded as well. Liverpool toiled a bit to win against Cardiff. I, I haven't seen the Ajax game, and, and but that that does take its toll, and I, I think we underestimate. It, it's not like the group games. It's not like the round of sixteen. This is the you know trying to get into the semi-final. Teams coming back from journeys abroad and stuff like that, and and I think that we saw that type of. It wasn't a, a razor sharp performance from Barcelona. I would be worried about Luis Suarez if I'm being honest. I don't think he played particularly well in both games against Manchester United. He was below par again yesterday against Real Sociedad. Um, but he has this knack of looking from one week to the next, little spells where you look at him yesterday and you look at him against Manchester United and you think, have his legs gone? He's, he's not able to run past opponents anymore. He's not bursting past players. When Barcelona are forced to go long and Testegan hits it downfield, he's not putting up much of a fight in terms of pinning himself up against the centre-backs and holding the ball up. It's an out ball for Barcelona, which doesn't work at the moment because he's, he's not prepared to do that. He can't run past opponents. And then a week later, he's, he looks the Luis Suarez of, of old. So I think he is crucial to how they get on against Liverpool. Because I think we know Liverpool are going to press and close down high up the pitch. They're going to try and force Stegen to kick it long. And they will believe, with the likes of Virgil van Dijk, Matip, that they'll be able to win the ball, head it back downfield again. Suarez isn't going to hold it up. So 
they need somehow Barcelona to come up with a some sort of solution um, to getting Luis Suarez. Now, I think they'll play a strong team against Alaves midweek, and then the weekend they'll be able to rest players prior to playing against Liverpool in the Champions League. So it was a crucial win. They need to win against Alaves away from home um, on Tuesday. Um, then they can then concentrate purely on the, on the Champions League. That's an advantage that they have over Liverpool, who are still fighting to, to win the, the Premier League title. Um, but Suarez is one of those where you're not sure if a week's rest does him good um, or whether he, he, he has to play his way back into form and, and his form turns around so quickly. Uh, one last game before we have a little break then. So Eibar nil, Atletico won a late goal by Thomas Lemar. Um, yeah, a player, a bit like Atletico really. He's had a slightly underwhelming Season not not dreadful, you know they're on. You know, they, they should still finish second place, which is which is a good campaign, isn't it? Uh, and he's he's still a good player, and you know they 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 do it. They do almost everything they need to do, except they they can't quite live up to Barcelona's uh, astronomically high standards. Exactly, and you can look at why they lost the, the they dump. When I say lost the league, that's probably harsh. You said let's go. Why they're going to finish runners up? Probably they drew too many games. They always seem to get off to a slow start. There was no Griezmann this weekend, so everybody knows the importance of Antoine Griezmann. They know that Diego Costa suspended, so the week before they had no central defenders. This week they were a little bit of light up front, um, but it's classic Atletico away from home against Abar. Abar, a decent team that can be really difficult opponents. Famous win this season against Real Madrid at home. They always seem to, to you know, they narrowly defeated away against Real Madrid two or three weeks ago. So. It's a, it's not a shoddy result from Atletico Madrid's point of view, and, and persistent in the fact that it's not a surprise that Atletico go right to the very end, and also their motivation, as we've mentioned, you know, consistently now is is they know they're not going to catch Barcelona. They, they'll do their best to make sure that Barcelona have to go or as far as possible, um, but they they are pretty determined to finish above Real Madrid. So we underestimate that that you know that's. Let's go. Do see that as a success if they can finish above their, their city rivals again. Uh, don't forget, we're on social media at La Liga underscore Weekly. Um, uh, that's on Twitter, and we're on uh, Facebook. Uh, La Liga Weekly is the page. Uh, so far, as we sit here late Sunday night, uh, I put up all of Saturday's highlights. So probably Monday morning, I'll I'll have a trawl around and find the highlights for for the rest of the game. So go on there, have a look. And, uh, and get in touch with us any way you like. Uh, let's have a little break and then we'll come back and summarise the, the relegation situation in La Liga. It takes thousands of hours to become an astronaut. Right, Nina? Oh, I'm not an astronaut. I'm a design consultant at the Container Store. But you explore space. I help you find space with our Alpha Closet systems. And you're an expert. Pretty good at it. And you use satellites to communicate. I'm doing more virtual in-home closet designs, but I wouldn't say... We salute you, astronaut Nina, for helping us find space. You're welcome. The Alpha sales bonus is here. Earn up to $500 in credit now through February 7th at the Container Store, where space comes from. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. 
And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You've counted down the seconds. Now make every second count for you. University of Maryland Global Campus will help you wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to a new year where you take the next step in your education. Whether you want to study business, cybersecurity, healthcare, or IT, University of Maryland Global Campus can help. Apply by January 31st and we'll waive your application fee. Learn online. Visit umgc.edu. That's umgc.edu. Certified to operate in Virginia by Chev. Hi, friend. It's your home speaking, and I need some favors. Could you turn on some of the lights in the basement? Um, I'm scared of the dark. Also, this one is easy. Could you bundle your home and car insurance with GEICO so we could save money? Last thing, just a suggestion. Could you steam clean the carpets? I need a spa day. GEICO. For bundling made easy, go to GEICO.com today. So welcome back to El Tell and John's La Liga Weekly. Let's have a look at the relegation uh, situation. We'll start. So we've already mentioned Valladolid's 2-2 draw with Alaves. Not a bad result, but they sort of need better. Uh, then Celta Vigo took on Girona. Uh, Celta Vigo are going in the right direction. Yet another Iago Aspas goal. The contrast between when he's in and when he's out is, is quite extraordinary. And then Buffal won it with a, with a lovely goal. Porto with one for Girona. And a bizarre five-minute yeah. uh, VAR consultation that ended up not making a decision. You know, it, it allowed the goal that they'd scored anyway. Um, in terms of the relegation picture with that one, Terry, Girona sort of running in sand, aren't they, at the moment? They're just getting dragged right down into trouble. Five straight defeats. And yet in all of those defeats, they've been pretty really in the game. They haven't been thrashed by anybody. They're just coming up short, which... When you have five de- consecutive defeats at this stage of the season and you're seeing yourself drifting down, as you said, in quicksand, it's it's hard to see when you're a player for a team like that in that type of form, it really is hard to, to see where your next win is coming from. They played via the lid midweek. So that's a massive game for both of those teams. But for Celta Vigo, I, I agree with you. They're, they're a team that shouldn't be where they've been for the majority of the season in the league. Aspas, Maxi Gomez up front, guarantee you goals. Aspas again at the weekend. Buffal's a decent player. Their, their squad is too good to be in that position, but they haven't been able to, to pick up results this season. So a good change in form at the right time. They're going in the opposite direction to Girona. I, I agree totally. Five minutes for, to de- decide on the VAR about the goal. I think we have to explain it was a pass from deep. And Paul Two, when the pass was made, was on side. But as the pass is made, the officials believed, and there was a possibility, wasn't there, that Christian Stuani got a flick. When he got the flick, allegedly, then Paul Two was in an offside position. But I'm surprised it took so long to find proof um, that Stuani actually didn't touch it. So therefore, when the initial pass was made... Paul Two was onside, finished off the chance nicely. I, I was mystified as, as to why it took five minutes. And when you're looking at the, watching the TV coverage, pick coverage, people in the crowd, they were pointed at their watches, 
to the to the officials. As, you know, it was your owner supporters that were pointing to their watches, and I think that's the big frustration from VAR. We're seeing loads of evidence that it that it works, um, loads of evidence that it, it's needed in other leagues. Now we've seen how it works in La Liga when you see offside goals in the Premier League and stuff, and you think, oh, well, next season that will be disallowed, or next season that would have been a penalty. So I'm pleased it is in La Liga, but with the only complaint I have had is that it needs to be quicker and, and I, I have no idea why it took five minutes to, to come up with the, the eventually the right decision the goal was allowed Stuani hadn't touched it um, and, the, and the goal was given and at that stage Girona were back at level back in the game and and I have to be honest as I just said Girona are close in all their games at that stage it was a result that could have gone either way but a, a, a really nice goal from from Sofian Buffal meant that Celta won get the three points and takes them up to 15th place now the nightmare is when they're looking for something that hasn't happened, because you could look forever for something that hasn't happened. Because it, it's a little bit like remember the the Ajax Real Madrid one where they're looking to see whether the ball's gone out of play, and about a minute into that, less than a minute, with that Champions League one, they should have realised that they didn't have the angle, and so you've got to you, okay by all means look, by all means think, hang on, did he touch it? But as soon as you have a quick look and you think we're not going to be able to see this. We've looked at the angles. You've got to just decide not to make a decision because exactly. you're there literally forever looking at to see, can we see him touch it? But if, if he hasn't touched it, you're never going to see it. But you, at some point, you just got to move on. Exactly. And I, I don't want to make this podcast too much about VAR, but then it was, I was mystified as to why people are looking at it and then ask the referee to go and look at it. So yeah. it, they're looking at him. They're asking him to make a decision when they haven't clearly haven't been able to say to him, Stuani hasn't touched it, goal to be allowed, move on. So yeah. they couldn't commit. They got the referee to go and have a look. That, I don't think that was a, a decision that he should have looked at, didn't need to look at. It wasn't a, a penalty decision where it was a foul when it possibly could, maybe it isn't. Do you want to have another look at that? We're not entirely sure. It's your decision. It's not clear and obvious error. Perhaps you go and have a look at it. He has a look on the monitor and decides, no, I might have got that wrong. Cancel it which happened recently, didn't it, in um, Barcelona against Manchester United. The referee gave the yes. penalty, obviously got instruction to have a look. He looked, decided I've made the mistake. That's fine. And that happened pretty quick. So I think we've got to get to that stage. But I don't see why there was a need for the referee to go and have a look. That's someone else's responsibility. Um, but So I was baffled as to why he then had come across to the side of the pitch. It actually is the, the one VAR decision that we've seen this season where the players were, were prepared to argue. You know, most of them will be seen with the VAR decisions. They players accept it. You know, they they can't argue with it. But that one, I think there was there was there was they were preparing, they were hounding the referee, weren't they? It took longer because they wouldn't leave the referee alone. He wanted to go and look at it. He was trying to listen, but they were chewing his ear off. Um, so it, it it was untidy, but eventually they, they did get to the right decision, but it, it took too long. Uh, Rui's point is that he says, did Yago Aspas being out actually help Celta Vigo in the running? As in, you know, the points contract when he's in and when he's out is enormous. But yeah. had he played the full season, would he have had the legs to go through the full season? But if he probably had played the full season, I think it's about 23rd game. So he's he's missed maybe 10 games of the season. If they'd have won another two or three, they, they, then, then they would probably be near safety now and they would probably be around 
10th, 11th, 12th, comparable with Leganes, Real Sociedad, Espanyol. So the fact he is fresh at the moment, although I believe he is actually carrying an injury, he's struggling to train on a daily basis, um, but he, when he's out on the pitch, he's so effective. He's a talisman, isn't he? I, I, we've joked on here that they're going to rename the stadium after him and the streets in Vigo will be named the, after Iago Aspas. He's pleased, pleasing to hear that he'd signed a new contract as well. So that was his commitment to the fact that, you know, I'm committing myself long-term here, uh, despite the fact we might get relegated. So I, I believe they're going to be good enough now and I believe they're, they're going to they're keep the, their status in the top flight. And the fact he signed the new deal means that he won't have that concern in the summer that his team have been relegated. He's committed himself to a long-term contract. There probably is an escape clause in there somewhere anyway. Um, but it, it was a, a good sign of commitment from a player who's... That's his home, and he's at home there. He runs the show, and and he's effective, and and everybody counts on him at that club. So I see Celta staying up now. No worries whatsoever. Uh, so the bottom is Huesca twenty six, Ray Vicana twenty eight. All the same, thirty three games played by Jolly. Then you jump up to thirty two, Levante thirty four, Girona thirty four, Celta Vigo thirty five, Villarreal thirty six. That's the relegation battle. Uh, did Rio and Huesca kill each other off with that nil nil? Totally. Uh, yeah, no, uh, it, it was the worst result possible for both of those teams. It, leave, it leaves Huesca eight points adrift. We've got five games to go. Rio is six points from safety. The point for each other does nothing whatsoever. So I, I'd hate to say it. You know, I'm trying to be always optimistic about any team and any player, but I think the gap is, is going to be too much. In particular for Huesca, it's probably going to be too much for Rio. And I think now, you know, when you look at the, the points deficit and fire to it, Levante, Girona, I believe Celta and Villarreal, although they're not out of it by any means yet, I mean, Villarreal on a good run of form, it leaves them, you know, four points above relegation. But I look at the performances of the teams going in the wrong direction. I mentioned Girona had lost the last five. I think F, uh, Levante, for instance, they're sliding down towards trouble. One win, five draws, seven defeats, eight points from the last 39. Tough fixture list running as well. Vidalid in the last 12, they were one, one, one game. They've picked up seven points from the last 36. I talked about Girona losing the last five. That's the, the type of form. It's really hard to turn it around. You're panicking now. If you're Girona, Levante in particular, they were flying in the first half of the season. There was no hint of relegation issues. But the second half of the season, their form has deteriorated and now panic sets in. Um, you then, therefore, you don't start playing as well. You're not playing to your true level. You're looking at other results. You're hoping that you're somehow you're going to scrape through. You're not relying on form to get your points and wins. You're relying on hard work and endeavour and, and hoping you've got the courage to stay in a relegation, you know, to stay out of the relegation position. So it gets desperate at this stage when you're, you're in that run of form those three teams I just talked about are. Oh, um, that's why I believe it's going to be between those three. Vidalid, Levante, Girona, Hasselta and Villarreal have found some form there. I expect them both somewhere in the last five to pick up four, five, six points and, and that should see them safe. So I think we're down to three teams fighting it out for the last um, available position in the bottom three. I think Rio, Huesca are gone. And then it's out the other three, I think, are in, all in bad form. But as I said, the game midweek, fired it against Girona. That's a oh, crunch match. That massive game. 
Uh, yeah, some good goals, weren't there? You know, it's going to be a draw. Won. It'll be a draw, uh, won't it? <laughs> They'll kill each other off with another draw. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll, what I'll do, I'll dig out the highlights, I'll stick them on the, the Facebook page, and then uh, we've got a, a midweek round of games coming up, Terry. So shall we, we'll have a look again on, on Thursday, shall we, at those. So Wesker, Abar, uh, Valladolid, Girona, that big game. Uh, Alaves, Barca, that's the Tuesday night games. Uh, Atletico against Valencia, cracking one at uh, 6.30 UK time uh, on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, Legares, uh, Athletic, Espanyol against Celta Vigo, uh, Levante against Betis. Uh, Thursday night, Sevilla versus Rayo Vallecano, Real Sociedad against Villarreal, and then the Hetafe versus Real Madrid, which finishes off the week. We'll do another podcast on Thursday night, so you'll have that early Friday morning. So uh, enjoy your La Liga football, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it.